Hey Fieldstone, Justin here. Just checking in. If it isn't obvious to you yet, we are gone this weekend. We're enjoying some time away as a family, but rest assured, we miss being there. We miss seeing you guys. And if, if the songs stayed the same from what the plan was, you probably saw Brian uh, playing his guitar with an Allen wrench. You know that thing he does where it sounds like he's exercising a demon from his guitar? That's always fun. <laughs> but uh, just wanted to actually take a second and introduce our guest speaker for today. It's a friend of mine named Bill Holbrook. Uh, if you don't know Bill, he, he's not seen around Fieldstone very often, and yet he has a tremendous spiritual impact on this church from afar as one of our overseers. And we'll talk more about our leadership structure again in a few weeks just to keep you up to date on what that looks like. But, uh, but Bill has been uh, a friend. He has been a mentor. He has been a boss of mine over the years. Uh, Bill has been a pastor at a uh, few different churches in the metro Detroit area of varying sizes and contexts. And so when it comes to ministry, Bill has been there and done that. Uh, when it comes to family life, Bill has been there and done that. And uh, so I'm, I'm just excited for him to be able to share his heart with you a little bit today. And um, one thing about Bill is Bill is coming from an organization called Seekwell, and I'm sure he'll talk about that a little bit. But that is an organization that we now partner with as a church and that organization has meant a lot to me and our family. Uh, it's meant a lot to many of those around Fieldstone as well. And I'm excited for uh, all of us as a church uh, to get to know them a little bit better in the coming weeks and months and even years. So uh, enjoy your time with Bill. I'd love for you guys to chat with him after service if you get a chance. But I do want to warn you, if you talk to Bill, he will have already evaluated your Myers-Briggs and your Enneagram by the time that conversation is done. So prepare yourself for that, but uh, uh, it's great to have him with us. Please welcome him. But first, check out this video just to give you a quick introduction of what Sequel is all about. We all want life to the full, but the truth is few actually find it. Do you ever stop to wonder why? The world moves at this unsustainable pace and it leaves us tired and worn out, not just physically, but spiritually. No wonder God feels distant. No wonder life doesn't feel full. If that's you, we want you to know you're not alone. We're here to help. Jesus says there is a better way. He says that if you're tired and worn out, just come to him. Get away with him and you'll recover your life. He says that through intimacy with him, we find the life we truly want. A life that is free and light. At Sequel, we believe that listening to Jesus is the key to our best life. We believe that if we will slow down and listen, we'll actually hear God. So join us for the daily rhythm. Grab a copy of Listen or come to an experience at Haven. We've got something for you no matter where you are. Join us as we Sequel together. Good morning, Fieldstone. Hey, my name is Bill. I want to welcome you out today. If you are on YouTube or the live stream, we want to welcome you also. Uh, we're so glad that you're participating in this today. Uh, as Justin said, my name's Bill, and he's very accurate in a few things. Number one, I have been his boss before. So just so you know that, uh, I hired him at a previous church. 
I have a lot of stories about him. If anybody wants any amount of dirt, uh, I can get that to you free of charge, no problem. Uh, I have stories about early youth ministry conferences. I have stories about shake weights. I have stories about lots of different things that you don't even know about. Uh, so just know, I know Justin and Kathy uh, really well. Uh, Justin is somebody who I, I can say, honestly, I look up to. Uh, he's somebody who loves the word. He's somebody who loves the local church. Uh, and you, you know him if you've been here any amount of time. Uh, he's passionate about you and your legacy and your family and how Jesus plays into that. So he's somebody who I really look up to. He hasn't made his mind up on the Michigan-Michigan State thing, but that's a whole different character flaw that we can talk about at a different time. Uh, so a bit about me. Uh, I am 41. Uh, I have three children. There's a nice little picture up here. Uh, I have a 13-year-old, a 16-year-old, a beautiful wife, and a two-year-old monster there in the middle. Uh, and when I say monster, I mean he's like this tall, and he uses complete sentences and can logic and reason people. So that's not mine. That's my wife. But just so you know, uh, that's my family. We live about an hour north of here in Troy. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I've done over my life, I've worked in the local church since I was like 12, right? I know, I know what you're thinking. That was like a year ago. Uh, but no, I, I've worked in the local church my whole life, different kind of churches, different sizes, different roles. If I seem a little informal, it's most of my work was in youth ministry. So if you're under the age of 18 in the room, I love you. Uh, and I get you and I like you. Uh, if you're over the age of 18, I, I get you and I, I love you too. Uh, so just so you know about that. Uh, love youth ministry, love what it does, love how there's a foundational piece there. A line that somebody used early on in my life was, youth ministry is a great place to reach kids before you need to rescue them later. And so hopefully you can serve, volunteer, support Joe and what he's doing here from a youth ministry standpoint and really go all in for the students and the kids in your life and in this community. Uh, as Justin also said, um, I am a part of Sequel. That is a, a, a ministry nonprofit whose main mission is to get people to slow down in life, listen to Jesus, and seek Jesus well. Uh, that's what we are. Uh, we are a, a collection of people, a movement that's really focused on that. There's books, there's experiences, there's a lot of things we can do to serve you in your journey. I left the local church uh, from a professional standpoint. I still attend and volunteer and all that kind of stuff. But I left the local church working there after 20 years, about a year ago. Uh, and it was, it's been really good to, to serve the local church in different ways. How many of you, any men in the room, uh, been through our refresh experience that we've been to? Yep, I see that hand back there. Uh, where's Tom? Did Tom leave? Tom, Tom was part of our, Tom, where are you at, man? Hi, Tom. Tom was one of our friends. Uh, from, uh, Tom, I still remember moments around that campfire, man. So we had, we had a great time with them. That's just a little bit about me. A few things I love. Long walks on the beach. No, I'm just joking. Actually, I do. Uh, love baseball. Baseball is one of the things I love. I really hope that they will not postpone the season because of labor disagreement. Uh, love Michigan sports. So if you're a Michigan State fan, we can still be friends. My wife is a Michigan State graduate. Uh, and I love, uh, I love being with people in community. Justin's right. Uh, another part of my profession right now is I do executive coaching uh, alongside Sequel, and I have all the certifications of like Myers-Briggs and Strengths and Enneagram. So he's probably accurate in our conversation. I have that nailed down. But I don't do that here. That's not what I'm here for today. So uh, really glad to be with you. Justin invited me in, and he said, hey, Bill, I, I want you to speak on something that is important right now in your life. I want you to speak on something that you're passionate about. Uh, why don't you speak on something that's maybe important in culture right now? So there's a lot of important topics I could teach on from culture. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? Uh, I could talk about Michigan State basketball if you want me to do that. 
Uh, I could talk about the weather or any of those things. There's a lot of fun topics we could do. But today what I wanted to talk about, just for a little bit while we're here today, is this topic of identity. So when I say the word identity, there's a lot of different words that pop into your head. Now, once again, youth ministry background, right? So help me out here. A little crowd participation. When I say the word identity, word popcorn, what pops into your head? Son of God. Son of God. I like that. Give me another one. Love. Love. Good. Come on, one more. Books. Books. Looks. You need to shave, my friend. Uh, sorry. I love Joe. <laughs> Joe, Joe and Lee are friends of mine, so I can say that. All right, what was another one over here? Grace. Yeah. Give me another one. Jobs. Yeah, jobs. Yeah. One more. Anyone back there? Theft? <laughs> identity theft. Yes. <laughs> By the way, this is a plug for LifeLock. Uh, identity theft is not. I'm just joking. Uh, yeah, this idea of identity, it's, it's really important. It's kind of an abstract concept, but it really has an effect on our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with our family, our relationship with friends. And if I can be honest today in our time together, and uh, for those in the room and those online, I, I want to be vulnerable and authentic in this. I, I've struggled at times with my identity. Not my name on my driver's license, which newsflash, my name on my driver's license is not William. It's not like William Holbrook III. It's literally Billy Dean. Like Jimmy Dean sausage, come on. <laughs> like, for real. So early on, funny little story about me. Early on, my dad used to play Michael Jackson albums in the basement. We were playing pool in the basement. And there was a song that I thought was written about me. And it... I was like, Billy Dean. And then I learned what the words of that song are, and we're just going to stop from there. So, uh, but yeah, that's my name. I don't struggle with my name on my driver's license. I don't struggle with any of that. I, in life, have had times and moments where I've struggled with my identity. We're going to talk about this idea today, and I really challenge you for the next 25 minutes or so to think about this question. Who are you? Underneath your job, underneath all of the cool fashion that you have, underneath your home, underneath your car, underneath your hobbies and your success and your affirmation. Who are you, really, deep down? Maybe an elevator level, one or two down. Who are you at your core? See, for me growing up, uh, I grew up, I, I had a, a caring mom and dad. Uh, love my mom, love my dad. Some things in life, growing up in the 80s and 90s, there's, there's trauma that happens, right? Like, my dad, great guy now, uh, was an emotionally absent alcoholic growing up. So that was a void in my life. My mom, uh, love her to death. She's like the church lady on SNL. Uh, that's my mom. She's not watching today. Uh, that's my mom. Like she, you know, loving, caring, really doing everything she could to support the home. But man, she, she was carrying a lot uphill through that. Growing up, I found out early on that if I was really good at some things, and students, I want you to hear me, once I was really good at something, I got some affirmation from that. And all of a sudden, I realized early in my life that if I kept doing things at an excellent level and achieved things in really quick succession, I would be loved and cared for. That was a message that I bought into early on as a child that my parents didn't project me. That was just something I did. So I grow up and, and going through college and through early jobs, I, I developed this thing where I would go into a new environment and be like the golden boy that could get anything he wanted for a season. And if you've ever worked with a golden boy, you hate them. Uh, and if you've ever noticed, they get fired really quickly because their, their reign runs out. 
And so all of this is kind of moving me through life. And I remember waking up one day in my early 30s and I'm sitting there and I'm burnt out on religion, not burnt out on Jesus. There's a big difference between those two. But I'm burnt out on religion. I didn't know who God really was. I was worshiping a God I didn't know. And I didn't know the difference between what I was doing and who I was as a person. This idea of the difference between who we are versus what we do. And I didn't know what it was, so I let others define that for me. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had this happen, right? This isn't just a me thing. This is a United States of America thing. This is a Western culture thing where we sit here and we focus on what we do. Some of you right now, your brains are doing this little thing when I say who you are is different than what you do. There's like a little twitch going like, what? What are you talking about? Come on. Like it doesn't make sense because the culture we live in, what we do, what we look like, what we achieve, what we succeed in, that determines who we are. That's a lie of our culture. We define ourselves many times on how much we make, what success or achievement looks like, what our house looks like, what our car looks like, how our kids present themselves in public, what our spouse is like. We put all these things, and all of a sudden, our identity becomes what we can manage and control, what we can achieve versus who we are. Kids do this, but adults, we hide it way better, right? We as a group of people, I think we struggle with our identity. And it comes down to this idea of being versus doing. And this is a big thing for us at Sequel. When we take people away on experiences, we try to get them to think about this difference between who you are at your core, who God has made you to be, and what you do. They're different things. There's a, there should be a gap between them. So I'm going to show you these lies by a guy named Henry Nowen. He was a, he was a church father, really smart guy. Uh, yeah. He's a Jesuit priest and just really profound. He said, there's three great lies in humans. One, I am what I do. Two, I am what I have. And three, I am what others say about me. So when we think through this, I am what I do, right? What I produce, achieve, succeed in. I am what I have, what I can purchase, what I can acquire. I am what others say about me, reputation, verbiage, accolades. And the truth is, none of these are accurate. You are not what you do. You are not what you have. You are not what others say about you. Those are lies that we, as humans, buy into. And over time, it kind of seeps into our identity to where there's no difference between the two. So the question I have for you today is this. Who are you at your core, at your deepest level, who are you? Most people think they know, but they don't. They don't have a clue about this idea of identity. They have a clue about this fake appearance that we put on in public with other people. They have a clue about uh, the way that they have to keep up social norms and appearances. They have a clue about all of that, but they don't always take the time to look deeply inside. And why does this matter? Why does it matter for us to figure out who we are and what our identity is? Well, it's really simple. Our identity is a core part of who we are. And if we don't know who it is, then the world's going to tell us what it is. And if we don't know what it is, we're just going to kind of drift through life not knowing where we're going. Anybody here been to an indoor water park? Raise your hand. Okay, anybody here got a head cold after you left? Yep, that's an indoor water park right there. Uh, so, Calhari, anybody? You guys like that? It's fine, all the rides. Awesome. So, 
Who here, a show of hands, has been down the Lazy River? Yes, so fun. I love it. All right, so Lazy River. What do you float on in a Lazy River? You. Tubes. Yes, a raft. Tubes, things like that. Plastic things that go down the water. All right, so this is a tricky one. Hesitate here. What creates the current on the Lazy River? You, with the hand up. What? You are the smartest kid I've ever asked that question to. <laughs> right there. I've had adults go, gravity. And I'm like, it's indoors, people. <laughs> like, you got it. There's some motor somewhere, right? There's some jets hidden underneath the water, propelling the water. Now, say there's a, I don't know, 42-year-old retired teacher sitting on, very specific, but I really just made it up in my head. A 42-year-old retired teacher sitting on a raft floating down the lazy river with a smoothie in her hand. No cares of life, right? Do you think she cares about those jets? No. Do you think she's thinking about what's moving her through life or moving her down that lazy river? She's just floating on a vacation day. And my belief is that many of us go through life that way. That we get on the raft, that we get in the lazy river, and life just pushes us down. And somewhere along the way, we wake up miles from where our destination was supposed to be, miles from where we wanted to be. And we go, how did I get here? And that, my friends, is an identity issue. That our identity is off and it takes us in a direction that we don't want to go. Our, our family doesn't want us to go. Our friends don't want us to go. And it moves away from this John 10.10 10, where Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. It moves away from God's plan in that way. Homes can start to dictate how we feel about ourselves. Cars can start to dictate how we feel about ourselves. Family situations, relationships, social media posts, all of these things can start to dictate how we feel about ourselves. They can try to fulfill us. And really, at the end of the day, we were only meant to be fulfilled by one thing. And that's an intimate, connected relationship with Jesus. So, what do we do? How do we cut through this? to figure out who we are, what our identity is, and how we can move forward in that. Well, the, the idea that I want to talk to you about today is, is really simple. We're going to put it up on the screen right here. It says this. If you want to chase after Jesus, we need to focus on who we are instead of what we do. If we want to chase after Jesus, we need to focus on who we are instead of what we do. Now, if you're in the room and you're a Christ follower, you're a Christian, you're somebody who's practicing the ways of Jesus, know this that chasing after Jesus has to do with who we are, not what we can do for him or with him, it has to do with who we are at our core. Many of us know that there's something just missing, right? There's something off. There's something different about life. And we get in this spot and we go, what do we need? What's that 1% shift? What's that 10% shift? How do we change our life to keep moving the direction of being more like God, focusing on who he made us to be and chasing after him? But that's not how many of us walk through life. Many of us walk through life and uh, we have this heavy rucksack of things that have happened throughout our experiences that are dictating and determining how we feel about ourselves and our identity. Uh, Michelle, why don't you show them the cute picture? So this is me at eight. Look at that hair, right? Come on, let's be real. I love that picture. Uh, Tell me, what, what is this little kid feeling right now? Joy, yeah, what else? Liter yeah, you with a hand. 
Happiness, absolutely. Give me another one. Come on. What, what is he feeling right now? This isn't a trick question. Just, what, what, what does that look like to you? You can say cute, attractive, funny, smart, handsome, like any of those things. You're fine. You're in the back. Not a care in the world. Do you know what my rucksack had in it when I was eight? Like a Spider-Man magazine, a Gatorade, and a candy bar. Like that's how you get through life. Maybe a Nerf gun in there, right? But that, that's a kid. Why don't you take a minute? Nobody's, do me a favor. Nobody's going to throw anything at you. I want you to close your eyes real quick. Just close your eyes. I want you to think of yourself at 10. I want you to go into, and if you're 10, think of yourself at nine, whatever. Uh, but I want you to think real quick about that picture of you at 10. What were you feeling? I'd open your eyes. I'm not going to make you respond to me because for some of you in that moment, you're like carefree, light, fun, joy. For some of you in that moment, you're like pain, hurt, trauma. Like there, Everybody has different experiences in their childhood, so I totally get that. But I want you to know in that, that there is a version 1.0 of ourselves. There is a piece of us before the world corrupted us. There is a place that we were at where we were carefree. Where we were Matthew eleven twenty eight. We were free in light, in rhythm with Jesus. We were calm and peaceful. And here's what happens. We move through life in 40 plus years of being on this planet. We accumulate junk. There's this layer of dirt that just kind of forms over us like a car on a dirt road day after day after day, and it just kind of settles in, right? And so we get through life, and, you know, think of your 16-year-old self. A question, one guy asked me one time, he said, hey, would your 16-year-old self be proud of you right now? And I'm like, I'm going to leave now. Thanks. Have a great day. <laughs> like, that's such a great question. Like, when we think of ourselves growing up and getting older, and we think of all the excitement and the joy and the dreams that we had, and then we hit 20, and... A relationship ends. Then we hit 25 and we get fired from a job. And then we hit 30 and X, Y, and Z happens. All of you in your own life have had dreams and hopes and experiences that you've moved through life in. And then hurt and disappointment, failure, guilt, shame. Living on this planet sometimes can be hard. Now, pause there. There's some of you in the room that when I said that went, you said my favorite line. Suck it up, cupcake, right? Some of you in here, when I'm like, when I'm like, life is hard, you're like, yeah, I made it up hills in my boots with my dog to school both ways. Like, I know that, right? I get that. I hear you. But truthfully, when we pause and we slow down and we think about life, there have been things throughout our life that have been hurtful, disappointing, and damaging. And what happens in those moments when there's disappointment or trauma or hurt, and we're talking about identity here, right? What happens in those moments is our identity starts to shift. You know, we're, we're in high school and something happens to us on a, uh, at school and somebody says something to us and all of a sudden we start to think that lie about ourselves and we move through life like that is true. You know, we're at a workplace and we get fired and all of a sudden this lie creeps in that I'm not good enough and all of a sudden you go to your next job with this lie of I'm not good enough. You're in a relationship and, and something goes wrong in that relationship and then all of a sudden you take that hurt of that relationship and go, I'm not worthy of another relationship and you move into the next relationship with that as your default. We all do this. Now, that verse John 10, 10 that I talked about a minute ago, the verse says, Jesus has come to give you life and life to the full. You know what the second half of that verse says? It says, 
and there's an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I'm not trying to be a downer this morning, all right? I like it. It's sunny. It's nice out. So see, 45 today, it's beautiful. I'm just reading the Bible here. Who would be invested in you believing a lie in your life that short-circuits your plan and your purpose and the way you feel about yourself? An enemy, Satan, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. That if he takes you out, you no longer get to make an impact on the kingdom, and he wins. So we think about this idea of identity and all the things that pop up. And over time, these lies and things, they change us into a different version than God intended. Our identity gets revised and muddled and added on and subtracted from. At the end, we're like this house with all these different additions on it that the foundation just crumbles. For me, I remember distinctly the moment. That eight-year-old kid was standing on his porch. It's a summer day in Michigan, and I had shorts on and no shirt on. I was playing with my friends. I mean, what do you do over the summer, right? We're probably like throwing water balloons or making trouble, things that my mom probably wouldn't approve of. So, uh, so I'm standing there on my porch, and we were doing something. And I remember this like it was yesterday. And I just went, Arr! And one of the kids goes, started laughing and pointed at my chest. And in that moment, for the next 10 years, I never went out in public or in a swimming pool without a T-shirt on. Because there was a message in that moment that something about the way I looked was wrong. And it took years for me to figure that out. I think I was a high schooler before somebody was like, hey, dude, why are you wearing a shirt in a swimming pool? Why are you the only one? And I had to process through that. My body image and looks and affirmation and all that. Now, listen, that's me. I could share you 10 of those throughout my life. I know I'm not the only one. I know if you and I went out and we grabbed a cup of coffee and we're talking, and I said, hey, give me that moment in life where your identity shifted a little bit, where something in you broke a little bit, where something in you hurt a little bit. Give me that moment. You have it. Like you have it in your mind right now. Because when we live on this planet for a amount of time, stuff happens. And the difficulty in that is it starts to shape who we are instead of God shaping who we are. And that's why we focus get this, on what we can do versus who we are. Because what we can do, we can control. Like how much money I make at work, I can control. Uh, the things I do in my house, I can control. What I buy, I can control. There's a control factor there that we jump into and go, you know what? Dealing with who I am is too hard. There's too much there to dig up. There's too much to process through. I just need to shelve that. Let me focus on what I can do. And then we plow through life thinking that who we are and what we do are the same thing. And they're not. They're different. And then we sit down, and this is the kicker, as we sit down on a random Tuesday afternoon and go, man, I have a longing for something to be different. Now, that's not the verbiage you use because nobody uses that real language, right? But you're like sitting there like, there's a feeling deep in you that goes, man, something needs to change because what I desire to be, I no longer can see or I don't know how to get there. So what do we do? If we stopped right now, this would be a zero out of 10 on the message scale. Be like, thanks, bud. Came to church, got a cup of coffee, and now I'm depressed. Have a great day. Like, I get that. I hear you in that. So let's talk about what we can do from this place. Because I really believe I'm not the only one that's had those experiences in adding, subtracting, moving, molding my identity, not according to what God says, but according to what the world says about me. So what do we do? Well, first thing we have to do is we have to think back on what this original version was of ourselves. 
You might call it version 1.0. It's a starting point of you. And here's a question I would have you write down. You can take a picture of the screen. You can file it away for when you're spending time with Jesus later and you're listening or you're journaling. It's this. It's the question of who were you? We're not, I'm not going to use that quite right now. But here's the question. Who were you before the world told you who you should be? Who were you before the world told you who you should be? Who is that little boy or that little girl? The dreams and the hope and the excitement and the joy and the free and the light. Psalm 139 talks about it like this. If you ever want to talk about identity and being known, Psalm 139, we're going to put it up on the screen. It reads like this. It starts out, you, so this is David talking to God. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You, God, knew me. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. When your spouse tells you you're, you're complicated, just tell them God made you that way. Uh, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in seclusion, as I wo was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. If you hear nothing I say today, hear this. God made you. God sees you right now. He knows you. And he loves you. That's what this verse tells me. He sees me when I mess up. He sees me when I do well. He knows everything about my heart. And he still chooses to love me. Right? So that's this version 1.0. So what happens? What happens along the way? Well, we mess it up. Now, some of it's from us, right? Because we sin. That just happens, right? That, that's life. Some of it happens to other people. I'm not blaming anybody. There's unintentional things that happen in life. And some of it's been intentional to you. There's, there's a large swath there. Today is not a blame game of who, you know, this isn't Dr. Phil of who messed me up. That's not what we're doing today. Today is there are parts in our life, whether self-inflicted that we've done on our own, unintentional from others, well-meaning people, or intentional from others, that along the way start to shift us. Romans says it like this. Romans chapter 1 uh, goes into this verse that we're going to show you. It says, Forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his power and nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing him. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think foolish ideas of what God was like. Pause. Satan, in Scripture, is referred to as Lucifer. Another name in Scripture is the father of lies. Who would have a vested interest in you believing foolish ideas of what God was like? Who would have a vested interest in you taking your experiences here on earth and thinking that's how God sees you versus looking at Scripture? He would. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became fools. Instead of worshiping God, they made idols to, work, to look like people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things. So listen, this is it. We mess up. We have idols. Now I know you're like, Bill, I, I don't worship a reptile. That's not what I do on Sunday mornings. Like, I get it. Right. But man, anybody ever checked out their screen time on these? <laughs> Awkward laugh. Uh, we all have idols in our life. The definition of an idol is something good that we have made first. So money. Good thing to have if you want to eat food and have a home and things like that. 
When that becomes first in our life, knocking Jesus off the throne, that's an idol. Uh, success, hey, it's good to work hard and get accolades at work. When that becomes the goal and takes the place of God, that becomes an idol. Uh, physical fitness, right? Not a bad thing to, to be in shape and take care of your body, all that kind of stuff. When that becomes number one, knocking God off of the throne, that becomes an idol. So the definition of an idol is anything good that we take and put in place of God and make great. We all have those, all of us do. So what we do then is all this life starts to muddle our identity. It gets shifted and added to and manipulated and cut off, and, and it's this deformed piece that we just move day in and day out, and we just focus on what we can do, what we can do, what we can do. C.S. Lewis says this as we think about identity. He says, the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but we, what he intended us to be when he made us. The question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. So who were you before the world told you who you should be? Who was that? Who's that boy or that girl inside? So as we start to, to wrap up today and we talk about this idea of identity, uh, what I want to do is I, I want to read you a children's story. Isn't it funny how, uh, how children most often see things most clearly? Uh, it's, it's interesting how that works. So uh, there's a book called The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And there's a story in here uh, that really I think is a metaphor for life. It's a, it's a metaphor for my life in many ways. And in the story, there's a boy called Eustace. Now, if you've never seen Voyage of the Dawn Treader, go rent it on Amazon Prime or whatever. Like, go, go look at it. It's great. If you've never read it, it's a really easy read. There's a boy called, called Eustace, and Eustace is, he's a brat. Like, let's just be real. If you've ever read this stuff, he's an absolute terror, all right? Uh, horrible heart, horrible attitude, mean to everybody. Uh, Eustace walks into a dragon lair and finds a gold bracelet. What do you do when you're a 12-year-old boy and you find a gold bracelet? You take it, right? So he put it on and fell asleep and instantly woke up as a dragon. Now, a bratty little boy wanted to be a dragon. That was kind of fun for a little bit. He got to fly around and got to do all the things he thought he wanted to do. And then he started to get lonely. And then he started to have pain because the thing he wanted most, being a dragon, was inhibited by that little bracelet and it caused him an immense amount of pain. And so he's sitting there one night crying, trying to tear off his dragon skin with his own, with his own hands. As a, as a little boy, that's a dragon. Metaphor for life here. How many times do we wake up going, man, I wish I could change who I was. I wish I could change what's going on right now. And so in that moment, Eustace is sitting there as a dragon. He's doing all of this on his own power. And the lion shows up. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you don't, haven't seen the movies, the lion Aslan is a metaphor for God in that moment. And I'll read you what happens as he's struggling to get back to his true self. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I to take off? How many layers? For I was just longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke it, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. 
The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of peeling the stupid stuff off. You know, if you've ever picked a, score, uh, a scab off of a sore place. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and just as I thought I'd done the other three times, only they hadn't hurt, and there it was laying on the grass, my skin, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me, and I didn't like it much, for I was very tender now, and he threw me into the water. It hurt like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and playing, I found that all the pain had gone, and I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. See, the truth of our lives is there are layers upon layers upon layers of things that we've accumulated. And we can try to deal with that on our own. We can try to change the things of our past. We can try to change what our future looks like. We can try to get back to that version 1.0 on our own. But it never works out. Because of our own power, we can't get there. But with his power, we can. And so the band is going to sing a song, and it's, it's called You Say. And it's a song about what God says about you. One of the only real ways to combat the false identity of this world and the what I do is who I am and all the things I've done equal who I am and all the disappointment and the, the hurt, the only thing that combats that is the truth of Scripture and our personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's where it starts. And so for you today, my hope is as they sing this song that you can read the words, hear what Jesus says about you, and start to think about that question of who am I really? Who were you before the world told you who you should be? And how can we get that aligned to that version now that's moving with a purpose, with God's presence, with relationships, moving into this world with joy and peace and grace? Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that's so clear that you know us, you hear us, you see us, you love us. God, and that you do not care about our accomplishments. You don't care about what we do, God. Your first and foremost desire is who we are. Children, sons and daughters of you. You've adopted us into your family. You've brought us in and treat us like royalty. You've forgiven our sins and given us a plan and a purpose. And I pray today that as we sing, as we go to you, 